0: Amen. Lord, you truly are a great and an awesome God. And that word gets used a lot, but no one is great but you. No one is holy but you. No one is perfect but you. Lord, it's only because of your grace that we're made holy and righteous. So Lord, we come before you humbly and broken and just so blessed and thankful for your love, your great grace, and your mercy that you've shown toward each and every one of us. And Lord, I just ask as we go to your word right now, You'd be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go ahead and grab a seat. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, you need one. We do have a Bible study here. People ask me that. When do you guys have Bible studies? Every time we meet. That's when we have Bible studies. Amen? That's what church is around here. All right. I want to encourage you. If you haven't been coming on Wednesdays, we just started Judges last Wednesday, so you can... Grab the CD in the back, they're always free. You can listen to Judges 1 and you can join us as we go through the book of Judges. It's going to be an awesome, awesome study. Well, we're picking up Philippians 4. By the way, don't you love those kids? Was that awesome or what? Love it. It says in John, I know no greater joy than to know my children walk in the truth. And there's nothing better than to see little kids praising the Lord. I know it blesses his heart as much or more than it blesses ours. Well, as we come to Philippians chapter 4, this has been a book, as we've seen so far, or letter, more accurately, that's been filled with one word, and that word is joy. And the amazing part about this letter filled with joy is that it's being written, as we know, by a man sitting in prison, waiting his potential death. He's about to go before the the authorities, and he sees as an opportunity for the gospel, but he also knows if he preaches the gospel boldly, that it may end his life. We do know from history that his life didn't die this time, but it would die another time when he was before the authorities and he was put to death. But here he writes this letter filled with joy. And that's only possible if you've got an eternal perspective. The Apostle Paul understood. He got it, as they would say. It's amazing. I'll be talking to someone and say, man, that guy gets it. What does that mean? He grasped or she grasped the reality of eternity. And the truth is, guys, we're going to be dead a lot longer than we're alive. And where we spend eternity is far more important than how we spend this temporal life, but may we use it for His kingdom and for His glory. Now with that being said, as we get to chapter 4, we've talked in chapter 1 about joy in spite of your circumstances, then we had joy in spite of people, and then we had joy instead of things, and now we're going to look at joy instead of worry. And I titled the message, Don't Worry, Be Happy, right? (laughs) And the truth is, that we don't have to worry if we're saved. Now, that's a, a weak chant that was made out of a song or something, right? Don't worry, be happy, right? thing, right? And the truth is that you can say that all you want, and it won't change anything if you don't know Jesus Christ. Because the truth is that joy can only come from Him. We can conjure up a temporary man-made happiness, but it won't last because it's based on our circumstances being right, and they won't stay right very long. As Christians, we can truly live lives of godly contentment, lives filled with joy regardless of our circumstances or the people around us or our current station in life. And remember this, that the opposite of joy and faith and godly contentment is fear, anxiety, and worry. Can I say something to you? And I don't want, you know, don't take this wrong. I love you. Worry is a sin. So is fear and so is anxiety. And people say, but you don't understand. I, I got this stuff going on in my life. Who's in control? God is in control. And it's very easy to have no anxiety and no fear and no worry when everything's perfect because you can do that in your flesh. But it's another thing to have no fear and no anxiety and no worry when everything is going sideways because you know who's in control. And we need to understand that we, as believers, can, instead of having that physical focus that the world has, we can have an eternal spiritual one. You know what? If anybody had an excuse to be worried, it was Paul. Like I just said, he's in prison. He doesn't know if his next day or his next meal is his last. He has other reasons to to be bummed out because we're going to find out in the text today that there are believers back in Philippi that were fighting with each other. He's their pastor in a sense and he's bummed out. You know, he could have been, oh man, what's going on back there? They're bickering, they're fighting with one another. What am I going to do? I'm facing my potential death. I mean, I could be anxious, I could be fearful, I could be worried, but instead, he writes a letter filled with joy. He had every excuse to be worried. His own personal circumstances were difficult, potentially fatal, but at the same time, while chained up to guards, he saw everything as a divine appointment, and he knew who was in control. You know what? Let me describe worry to you, and then we'll get into the text. We're only going to look at nine verses this morning, so don't panic, all right? But... What is worry? What is it? Well, it's interesting. The Greek word in this text that is translated anxious, it's it's in verse 4. It means to be pulled in different directions. You know, when you worry, you just feel like you're being torn apart. The word can also be translated, the English root of it, to strangle. And when you're worried, it just chokes you off. I'm amazed at how... We can be rendered so ineffective when we worry. And it's interesting to note that worry has physical consequences as well. Headaches and neck pain and ulcers and all kinds of things that happen because we're, we're worried. And it affects our thinking, our concentration, our appetite. But you know what, from a spiritual point of view, worry is the wrong thinking and wrong feeling about our circumstances and people. Worry is the greatest thief of joy that there is. But guys, we can't just tell ourselves, quit worrying. You want to do that to people, don't you, sometimes? Knock it off already. Get over it. They're not real effective, typically, though. Not real good. But you know what? There is a way, biblically, that we can get, aw- get away from it. You know, what's interesting. You can't just talk yourselves out. You can't have you know, good self-talk. I was in sales for years, and I have all these motivational speakers, and I did a lot of sales training myself, but it was amazing how these guys would come in with these mantras they wanted you to repeat that somehow would make you really positive you got to have a positive mental attitude because that's what it's all about. You know, if you want to, you can't be, you know, if you're going to soar at the eagles, you can't be hanging around with a bunch of turkeys. You know what I mean? And all these kind of platitudes. Well, this one guy came to our office one time and I'll never forget it because I don't know why they hired him because he was a disaster. But he came in and he was telling himself and he was just foul language flying out of his mouth and he was just a mess. I wanted to go up and help him. But you know what he said? Halfway through it, he said, here's the mantra that has made me the success I am today. I'm like, well, I can't wait to hear this. But here's what he said. He said, when you get up tomorrow morning, I want you to look in the mirror and I want you to say this to yourselves ten times over. I sizzle with power and enthusiasm. <laughs> he went on to say it ten times. I sizzle with power and enthusiasm. He was talking himself into it. And the point is, you know, the sad part is that this guy did not know God and he was a mess. And you know what? If he doesn't get saved, he's going to be sizzling. But there to be no power <laughs> and no enthusiasm. The point is that it's not us conjuring something up within our flesh. It's not us, I'm going to determine to... You know what? We need to die to self and fall in love with the Lord and let Him lead the way. and We've got nothing to worry about. Amen? Amen? Walk in His footsteps. Follow hard after Him. Worry is an invisible job and it, use, and it works from the inside out. And the antidote to worry is our security in Christ. So, the title of the message this morning, Don't Worry... Be happy. How to have joy and godly contentment rather than fear, anxiety, and worry. We're actually going to have to look at this in two parts. Next week we'll look at, or maybe two weeks, because next week we'll probably look at the the Easter story. But when we pick up the second half of Philippians, we will look at how to have contentment. How to have godly contentment. Because you know what? That's the Lord's desire for each of us. But in this morning's text, we're going to look at three actions that we take as believers, that will help us to live lives secure in the Lord, lives free of fear, anxiety, and worry, no matter what the conflicts are going on around us. So here's what they are if you take notes. Don't worry, be happy. Number one, how do we do that? Put your faith, hope, and trust in the Lord. Make Him the source of your strength. Make Him the source, not you. Not your bank account, not your abilities, not your health, not anything you can lose. If your source of strength is something you can lose, you're not going to have that strength for long. You're going to struggle. Make it Him. It'll never change. So put your faith, hope, and trust in the Lord. Number two, give Him your needs, desires, and concerns. We're going to see it say, make your requests known to God. How do you do that? You come to Him in prayer. You need to give it to the Lord. I hear people say that, but truly, come before the Lord and say, Lord, here's what's, what's going on in my life. It's yours. And then trust Him to take care of it. Amen? Amen. Don't don't hold on. Just, Lord, it's yours. You take care of it. And thirdly, give Him your mind as well. The Bible tells us to meditate on the things of God. To serve God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So don't worry. Be happy. The three points we're going to look at are put your faith and hope and trust in the Lord. Give Him your needs, desires, and concerns. And give Him your mind. Meditate on Him. So let's begin Don't worry, be happy. How to have peace and joy and godly contentment rather than fear, anxiety, and worry. First, by putting your faith, hope, and trust in the Lord. Not in your abilities, not in your worldly efforts, but in Him. Look at verse 1. And it says, therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, you ask, what's it? What's it therefore? And you always tie it back to the previous chapter. In light of what I just said, And what did he just say? He had just contrasted the enemies of the cross, whose God is their belly at the end of the last chapter, those who focus on earthly things, and those who are citizens in heaven. He said there are those who are focused on earthly things, and their God is their belly, and they feed themselves in their flesh, and then there are those who are heaven-bound. And here's the clear contrast between them. And he said, you know what, if you're born again, you're going to heaven. Therefore, in light of the fact that you're heaven-bound, in light of the fact that you're going to spend eternity with Almighty God, therefore, here's how you should respond as citizens of heaven who are eagerly waiting for the return of your Savior. In light of that, how should you respond since you know where you're headed? Then he says, My beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown. You know, these are beautiful words. This is the heart of a pastor. You know what he says? He's writing this letter and he's sitting in prison. And he says, My beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown. The word beloved there means esteemed, dear, or favorite. My dear ones. My favorite ones. Boy, I love this, the way that he writes because it's such a heart of a pastor. The word longed for in the Greek... Speaks of a deep pain of separation from loved ones. A love so deep it hurts to be apart. You know what that's like, don't you? Somebody just loves so much and it hurts to be away from them. And he says, you know, my beloved, my favorite, my, my cherished ones, my longed for. It hurts me to be away from you. I care for you so much. But then I love this part. He says, my joy and crown. Paul's source of joy had nothing to do with the circumstances, and everything to do with seeing others coming to know Christ. To him, that was it. To him, it didn't get any better than that. You know, last Sunday, 12 people got saved here. And you know what's awesome about that? Is that's eternal stuff. Amen? And that's the joy in the crown he's talking about. It's not the joy of winning something that's going to pass away. How many of you have ever bought a new car before? Right? And isn't it sweet for a little while? You get in that thing and new car smell. And you just want And the first time someone dings your car, right? And you park like way out at the mall, way far away. So nobody hits your car. A few years down the road, you don't, you know, you park it, whatever. You ding it yourself. (laughs) And before you know it, it's in the junkyard. This thing that you cherish and you thought was so valuable, it falls apart like everything else in this world, including our bodies. Amen? They all fall apart. They're all passing away. But his joy was in that which was eternal, that which was going to outlive his life. Paul's source of joy didn't come from his circumstances, but the transforming power of God's Spirit in the life of fellow believers. The word crown there is something you receive when you win a a contest. Others following Christ was the greatest fruit and the greatest reward that Paul could hope for. Nothing in the world, nothing the world had to offer. No earthly riches, or reward could compare to seeing others follow the Lord. Now, let me say this: I'll get personal for a moment. As your pastor, that's how I feel about you guys. I absolutely do. You guys are my joy and my crown. You really are. Some of you, you, you have no idea how much you bless me. I'll, I'll be praying for you during the week. I go through the directory, and you don't even know it. And I'm weeping because I'm so blessed by what God's doing with you. It just touches my heart. Some of you are my yellow page customers. I sold you a Yellow Page ad, and now you're, now you're here. Some of you I met at the Little League field. Some of you I met in the grocery store. You know, and I just love it. Watching what God is doing in your lives be, brings more joy to me than anything I can tell you about. It is so valuable. It's such a precious thing. heart of a pastor is to see people growing in their relationship with God. Guys, I just want to see you closer to the Lord next week than you were last week. It blesses my heart to see you falling in love with him. It blesses my heart to see you using the gifts God's giving you. You know what? Sometimes, I know it's going to sound corny to some of you. I'll think about some of you folding bulletins and it will grip me. I'll think about some of you coming early and setting up chairs and it will just break my heart. You know why? Because you're doing it for the Lord. And when you're doing things for God, it just grips me as your pastor. Working in the kitchen ministering to our kids these are such valuable precious things because you're doing it for god you're not doing it to please men you're doing it for the lord and you know what that blesses his heart and it blesses mine and as a pastor i can truly say that you're my joy and my crown you're my beloved and long for brethren my joy and my crown then he says this so stand fast in the lord Stand fast. In the light of your heavenly promise, in light of what he had mentioned in the previous chapter, stand firm, persevere, persist. The word in Greek speaks of a military command, a soldier standing his post. And he's saying because you're going to heaven, stand fast in the Lord. Guys, we're going to heaven. Don't turn away from God. Not for a minute. Amen? The world's going to entice you and try to drag you away and get your eyes off of God. And you know what? It's not worth it. But here's the good news, you can take a million steps away from God and it's only one step back and aren't you glad, amen? There's some people in here right now that this week was your step back because I know it, because I met with you this week and you know what, I'm glad you're here and you know what, I go, we could go around the room and every one of us could say there were times when I walked away and it was never worth it. I'm glad I'm back. Let's stand fast. Let's stand firm in the Lord. That's his exhortation to those whom he loves. I long for you. Stand firm. Stand fast in the Lord. As parents, there's nothing we want more than to see our kids walking with God. Amen? Amen. Nothing more. Nothing. I, I, I'll tell you what, I'll sacri- I don't care what it is. You know, what? we probably spend 90% of our income on my kids and the kingdom. And if it's my kids in the kingdom, there it is. Game over, right? (laughs) You know, my daughter went to India for the summer. And you know what? We didn't have the money. We just took it out of my retirement account. You know why? Because it's eternal stuff. It's going to impact her life, and God's going to use her to impact others for eternity. How can we not do that? We'll sacrifice whatever we have to, because what we're sacrificing is temporal for that which is eternal. And the point is that our kids, that joy that we have, and this is his heart. He's saying, stand fast in the Lord, in His service, in His strength. Place your faith and your hope and your trust in Him and you will receive strength from Him. Now look what he says in verse 2. I implore you, I implore Sentiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. These were two women in the church that were fighting with each other and had raised up groups and factions that were getting together and there was division in the church and they were fighting over something. We don't know what it was. You know, I remember growing up, I grew up in, and praise God for the Baptist church. I got saved in the Baptist church, and I grew up there. But the one I went to, several of them, my dad pastored, some of them were under what is called congregational rule, where you vote for everything. And I remember a church split, and I'm not exaggerating, over what color the choir robes would be. I'm not not exaggerating. Fighting. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. But you know what happens? Flesh. Your flesh rises up. You know, we don't vote here. You know why? Because God's in charge and we're following Him. Amen? We're not voting on anything. You know why? Because there's no... Show me that in the Bible. They voted one time. They cast lots. They chose Matthias. You'd never see him again. Paul was supposed to be the guy, all right? So the point is, we don't vote. We just trust God. And the point here is that they're battling and they're fighting and they're arguing and they're bickering. You know, I looked at their... When I was a youth pastor, I taught this text and I gave them new names. You're odorous and soon touchy, right? Because... They were fighting with each other. You stink. You're too touchy. Yeah, right, And that's what's happening here. And why are they bickering? And why are they fighting? You know why? Because they forgot who they are in Christ. They forgot what really matters in life. That's a word for some of us this morning, I know. Where you've got somebody you're bickering with and fighting with, and you know what? It doesn't matter compared to eternity, does it? Let's get right with God. And he's saying... Now, what does he say? I implore them to be of the same mind... In the Lord. He, you know, I love this. Paul does not get in the middle of them and say, well, let's hear both sides of the story. You tell me what you think, you tell me what you think, and then I'll go back and meet with a few other people, and maybe we'll vote on it. Let's bring it before the whole church. Let's have, you know, a, you, know you can have a, a, a person to represents you, and you can have a person who represents you. He didn't do any of that. You know what he did? Get right with God. Because no matter who's wrong, if you guys get right with God, whoever's wrong... We'll ask for forgiveness, and the one who's right, will give them the forgiveness, and we can just move on with life. He says, well, I'm not going to sit here and debate who's right, I'm not going to debate who's wrong, let's just get right with God and let's move on with Him. I implore you to be of the same mind in the Lord. They forgot everything else was less important than the common ground they had in Christ. It's our common bond in the Lord that holds us together. In light of our common bond, our common future, our common calling, our common Lord, Savior, God, and King, let us be of the same mind. Let this mind also be in you which was in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. And so he's saying, instead of bickering, instead of fighting, instead of arguing over non-essentials. You know what? Satan loves that churches are fighting over non-essentials. That we appear appear to the world. I've had people say it to me. How come there's so many denominations? I'm not a Christian. How come there's so many denominations? You guys can't even agree. You're all fighting with each other. And you know what? That breaks the heart of God. Guys, it isn't about Calvary Chapel. It's about the kingdom of God. We want to get everybody to heaven. It doesn't matter which lifeboat they get in. You've heard me say it. As long as they get to shore, that's what it's all about. And you know what? It breaks God's heart when there's division that would cause people to be stumbled in coming to know our Savior. He says, I implore you. The word there, again, implore, means to urge. His heart is broken. I implore you to be of the same mind in the Lord. He says, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labor with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers. So I urge you, true companion. We don't know who this true companion is. The word there for companion is the same word for being yoked together. Oxen yoked together. You say my true companion, the one that I'm equally yoked with, the like-minded person who is there, I can't be there, I'm in prison, you're like-minded with me, will you go there on my behalf and bring restoration between these women? I want to see restoration. I want to see them worshiping God together. Can you imagine people stop going to church because somebody didn't like the choir robe color? That is so the enemy, isn't it? Somebody not coming to church because they didn't like the way you didn't thank them right, or you didn't do this for them, you forgot their birthday, or let's get past all that, and let's come here together and worship the Lord, amen? Hey guys, we're going to be together for billions and zillions and trillions of years, if those are even numbers. We're going to be there forever. So you might as well get along now, amen? Let's start being kind to each other now. Let's have a relationship with each other now. So he urges his companion. Now some have guessed... That this might be the Philippian jailer, which would make sense. Remember the story of that guy? Paul's in prison, and there's a big earthquake. And the gates and the, the prison just opens up. God could do that. That's our God. Amen. So the doors open up, and the jailer thinks that they've run away, and he grabs a sword, he gets ready to kill himself. Because if you're a jailer and somebody escapes, you get their penalty. And their penalty was, oh, I have to die now. So he grabs a sword, and Paul says, Don't go anywhere, we're still here. And the Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And you know what? God used that man to reach much of Philippi. And many people believe it was him. But it doesn't matter who it was. The point is that he had fellow laborers. And it was these women who who Paul had appeared to first. In Acts 16, Paul comes to Philippi. There's no synagogue. There aren't even 10 believing men in the whole city. He shows up. And when he gets there, he goes into the city where they're having a prayer. They're having prayer out on the shore. And it's all women. And he shares the truth with them, they get saved, and they start sharing their faith. There's a woman there by the name of Lydia, remember her? Well, these women were there as well, and he says, go and remind them of how things started. Remember when we were down by the shore? Remember when you gave your life to Jesus Christ? Forget about this other stuff. It doesn't matter in comparison to eternity. May we remember what's really important in life. These once instrumental in spreading the gospel are now at odds over each other, over something that is far less important than eternity. It shows us how quickly once like-minded believers can be at odds over things that don't matter. Now look at the rest of this verse. We're going to spend a moment on this. Whose names are in the book of life. How many of you ever heard of the book of life before? Uh, Kind of important that you know about this. This is one book, you know, they can leave you out of the phone book, or they can leave you out of the, they can leave you out of the church directory, right, Pat and Bill Adams, right? Happens, that was our fault. But that happens, right? But here's the thing, this is the book you don't want to be left out of. Because the Lamb's book of life records every single person who has been saved. And that's where I want my name written, how about you? Now listen, here's what's interesting. In Luke chapter 10, the Lord sent the 70 out two by two, and they saw people healed, and they saw the blind seeing, and the deaf hearing, and the lame walking, and they came back to Jesus and said, Lord, even the demons are subject unto us when we use your name. It's, ama- it's amazing what's happening, and here's what the Lord said, don't rejoice in what you've seen, rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He says, "Guys, in comparison to the lame walking and people being raised from the dead and the demons being cast out, that's nothing compared to the fact that your name's written in heaven." You, if you want to rejoice in something, rejoice in that. You know what, guys? That should be a, a permanent smile on our face right there. I'm going to heaven. How about you? I'm ha-ha heaven-bound, as D.C. Talk used to say, right? Going to heaven, there's nothing more glorious, there's no truth that should give us greater peace than to know that my name, that your name is written in heaven, that we're saved and we're going to heaven. The book of life is the book that records the names of those who will inherit eternal life. What happens if your name's not in the book? This is not a real popular subject in churches today, is it? Let me read to you from Revelation 20. It says, "And whoever's name was not written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire." Now that is not an allegory or an, it's a lake of fire. Now, how many of you ever burned yourselves before? That's not fun. We don't do this on purpose. Lake of fire. Hell is real. You know that Jesus talks more about hell than he does heaven. Bible describes it as a place of eternal torment where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But sadly, many today take hell lightly. People write songs about hell. I've yet to figure this out. You drive down the road and the guy's going, I'm on the highway to hell. I'm like, do you have any idea what you're singing about? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. I go to... High school football games, praise God not where my kids go to school, but I go to high school football games, they're playing Hell's Bell, Satan going to get you, Hell's Bell. I'm like, devil going to get you, and I'm like, they're all singing it, and I'm like, man, do we have any idea what we're singing about? You know, I've had young people say to me, I don't care if I go to hell, I'll never forget this. I was a youth pastor in Southern California, we used to go down to the movie theater, because that's where teenagers tend to congregate, and they had like 20... 20 plex and we had a video camera and we'd go down there we'd videotape kids say hey we're doing a survey you want to be on you know we're going to videotape you want to be a part of it oh yeah and he just start asking much where do you go to school well, so what do you think is going to happen to you when you die you know and then the kids would respond and i'll never forget there was one kid that was there and he said yeah i don't care if i go to hell it's probably going to be a big party i'm going to probably have to spend the first hundred years shaking hands with all my friends it's going to be a big party when i get there and what's interesting is he said Hey, have you met my friend yet? I said, no. He said, oh, he's going to be here in a minute. you got to meet him. So he comes walking up, and he's got Satan on a shirt, and then he has horns that he had implanted in his forehead. So he's got horns. This kid's like 18. He's got horns and a Satan shirt on. And he goes walking up, and and he said, ask him what he thinks about hell. So we're talking to this guy, and he says, oh, I'm not afraid of it. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be great. Well, I would not recommend this tactic, but I had a friend with me that was was about six foot six and about 280 pounds. His name was Scott. And Scott reached out and grabbed this 18-year-old kid by the wrist, grabbed his wrist, put it in place, pulled a lighter out of his pocket, and started setting his palm on fire. The kid with the horns and Satan on his shirt was going, dude, man, and he's yelling, right? What are you doing? And he's screaming at him. He, yeah, I'm gonna call the cops. He's yelling at him, and Scott held it there for like a couple of minutes. Friends were coming. He's pushing him. I just, I started smelling the burning flesh. I'm like Scott. Not so much, you know. I'm the youth pastor. They'll probably take me to jail, you know. Now, what's interesting? He gets done, and the guy's just screaming at him, and he's holding his hand. And it's all burnt. And he's, oh man! And he's screaming at him. What are you doing? What are you thinking? I'm calling the cops. He goes, dude, you said you were looking forward to hell. I was just trying to give you a taste of it here and now. (laughs) He said, dude, you think that's bad? How about head to toe magnified a thousand times for all eternity? Are you looking forward to it? I don't think so. See, people say things about hell because they have no idea what hell is really like. You know what? You know what would make the greatest evangelist in the world? Five minutes in hell. A minute and a half in hell change everything wouldn't it and people are lackadaisical about it because they don't really believe it they wouldn't be singing highway to Hell if they knew what hell was really like and you know what our hearts ought to break for those people because they need to come to know our savior you know what that young man and he'll come to mind every once in a while and i pray for him because if he doesn't come to know christ his eternity is going to be far worse than that that lighter under his palm you know hell's real heaven's real and eternity's a long time Amen? So how much joy should we have that our name is written in the Lamb's book of life? Jesus said, here's what you should be excited about, that your name is in the book of life, that you're not going to hell, but you're going to heaven, where you're going to live with me forever. Guys, it doesn't get any better than that. Here's my question. Is your name in the book of life? Is it in the book of life? Don't leave here without praying and asking the Lord to be your Savior, and then your name is in the book of life. Amen? That's what it's all about, guys. Nothing else is going to matter. The knowledge that we're headed for heaven should keep a smile on our faces every day of our lives and praise flowing from our lips for all the Lord did on our behalf and is yet to do. Guys, don't worry. Be happy. You're going to heaven. Amen? Amen? That's a reason to have true joy that will outlast this life. And it's something that the world can never take away from us. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Despite the circumstances from which he's writing, joy is all over this letter because our source of joy is not our circumstances, but it's in the Lord. I can't imagine living life without the Lord. I can't imagine. I can't imagine what it would be like to try to go through even a single day without him i don't know about you and again i don't want to make it i'm a sinner saved by grace i'm one beggar leading another beggar to the bread that's it okay but here's the thing i can honestly tell you when i wake up in the morning my first thought is about the lord and when i'm walking around all day there's not a minute that goes by when my thoughts are not about him and every word that's coming out of my mouth it's in in the context of does it please him does it, now i sin every day i do i absolutely do but the point is that he is the passion of my life He's the reason I live and move and breathe. Without Him, there is nothing. There's no hope. There's no joy. Nothing. Because our source of joy is in the Lord. Man is striving for joy and trying to find it in everything the world has to offer. But you know what? Without Him, you'll never find it. Guys, let me say this. One of the worst testimonies for Christ is a sour sour and bitter Christian. It should never be. Now, I'm not talking about a fake You know, well, praise the Lord. God bless you, brother. Hey, right? (laughs) That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is being so in love with the Lord that no matter what happens, you still have joy. It's not joy in the flat tire, right? Got a flat tire? Back flips, right? Yeah. (laughs) What do you say about Just lost my job, right? right. Diagnosed with cancer. Right? No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a false putting on this false face. I'm talking about being so in love with the Lord that when you're diagnosed with cancer, you say, okay, God. You knew this was coming. Use it for your glory. And you know what? The worst thing that can happen to me is the best thing that could happen to me because I'll be in your presence. So, Lord, my life serves sure anyway. Do with it as you will. You know, my pastor in San Jose, you know, his life's verse is Acts 20, you know, that he doesn't count his life dear to himself. And he, he had a stroke and then he lost a lung and then he lost an eye and then he just had hip replacement surgery. And I was talking to him. He's like, bro, I, I gave the Lord my life. I just know he's going to take it one piece at a time. <laughs> Just take all of it, you know. If you want to take it. <laughs> Guys, we're going to heaven. It doesn't get any better than that. And every believer this side of heaven should be burned for every unbeliever this side of hell. And we should never look at themself righteously. We should look at them with a broken heart. And we should see them with our Savior's eyes, that He'd rather die than live without them. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. The word "their gentleness, is an ancient Greek word that means softness, Modesty or moderation. Let your moderation, let your softness, let your modesty be known to all men. A contentment with a generosity towards others. Mercy and leniency towards the faults of others. You know, the word describes the heart of a person will let the Lord fight his battles. And that's what people should see in us. Guys, no striving. No fighting. Well, I have to stand up for my rights. No, you don't. Let the Lord do it you don't understand. No, I do. Does God know? Does God know you were treated unjustly at work? Does God know that you've got a neighbor or a friend or whatever's going on in life that just doesn't seem fair? You know what? Let God do it. Because you know what happens when you let God do it? He does it, then He gets glorified. Amen? But when you strive and then you, it finally happens, you think you had something to do with it. It says there be known to all men. Our gentleness be known to all men. Our kindness, our moderation. Not just to our friends, Or fellow believers. But our unsaved co-workers ought to see the gentleness of God in us. Our unsaved neighbors. The jerk of a boss at work. The slow clerk at the DMV. Gentleness. Gentleness. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. You know what? This has a double meaning here. The Lord is at hand means His return is soon, but it also means He's nearby. Guys, when we're about to blow a head gasket, remember who's standing next to you. He's right there. And he sees it. You think you got away with it? You think wait wait till you get in your car and beat your car up. You know what I mean? I've seen people do this. They get in their car and they're beating the steering wheel up. You know. I'm glad I waited. You know, but the point is, that shouldn't be our heart. Our heart ought to be in tune with the Lord. Gentleness, again, can also mean moderation. We should ex- avoid the extravagant things of life because the Lord is coming soon and this stuff is passing away. Amen? It's okay to possess things as long as they don't possess us. As long as they're not more important than our relationship with the Lord. So don't worry, be happy. Put your faith and hope and trust in the Lord. Make Him and as soon return the source of your strength. Understand that you're going to heaven. Verse 6 and 7. Now look at this. Here's how we don't worry. Look what it says in verse 6 and 7. To give Him our needs. Make our requests known to Him. It says, be anxious for nothing. The word nothing in the original language there is nothing. Be anxious for nothing. You know, isn't it hard not to be anxious sometimes? How do we avoid anxiety and and fear and worry? We put it into God's hands and we trust that He knows the timing that is best for us. I know some of you here really want to be married and it's a burden on your heart. And I understand that. And God's given that to you. But you know what? Don't be anxious. Fall in love with Jesus. Some of you want children. That's a wonderful thing, it's a blessing and it's a gift from God. Don't be anxious. Just fall in love with the Lord and leave it in His hands. Some of you, you know, your health you're going through health issues and you want to know what's going to happen. And don't be anxious. Put it into God's hands. Guys, there's a peace in that, isn't there? Do you know that worrying, it says in the Bible, will not add one cubit to your height or one day to your lifespan? Why Why do we worry? All it does is harm us. It brings us no good. And the same thing with being anxious. Be anxious for nothing. But look what it says. How do we... How do we do this? Is it we we chant the thing? I sizzle with power and enthusiasm. That'll get rid of it. No. Look what it says. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here's how you overcome worry. Pray. This is it. Here's the answer. In everything by prayer. Things I worry or am anxious or fearful about, I need to take them to God in prayer. Is it okay to come to the Lord and say I'm fearful? Of course it is. Come to Him, he does He know already? Of course he does. He's God. Are you guys napping? The chair's too soft. All right. So here's the point. We need to come to the Lord and we need to say, and it's okay to say, you know what, Lord, I'm struggling with this. I need your help. Lord, this is a difficulty in my life. I need your help. The word prayer there is a word for Communi- for a communication with Almighty God. The word prayer a—it a, a, speaks more of a dialogue, not a monologue. And I want to encourage you with something. This is what God's put in my heart the last couple of years about prayer. Prayer needs to be more two-way than one way. Too often we run in and we tell God and we leave. Can you imagine having a friendship like that? Imagine someone knocked on the door at your house. No, no, no. Open the door. Here's what I need. And then they left. And they came by about every third day, knocked on the door and threw a bunch of stuff at you and walked away. Some of us, that's our prayer life. Hey, God, God, I'm here. All right, God, got my Wheaties on the table. Prayer time, right? By the way, I need a wife. Just letting you know. Amen. <laughs> and we do this where we go and we give God a, a, a list of things we want. And we tell him, here, God, is what I want. God, here it is. There you go. Can I encourage you that we need to hear from God more than he needs to hear from us? We need to, you know, can I encourage you? When you pray, pray. And make your supplications known to God. We need to do that. But then be still. Just sit and listen. And wait. And let God speak to you. Make it a two-way conversation. He says, by prayer and supplication, the word there, supplication, is when we intercede both for our own needs and the needs of others. We develop that. Listening portion of prayer, and then we come with the with the with supplication. And then it says, with thanksgiving. Again, that's an important part of prayer. You guys hear me when I pray. The first thing I always pray about, I always thank and praise his name. I believe that's how prayer should always start. You know what's amazing when you start that way? Oh Almighty God created the universe, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. You're holy, you're perfect, you're righteous, you're just, you're faithful, you created all things, you know all things. You know what? Everything after that is easy, isn't it? Because you understand how great He is. It's a reminder that now when I pray about whatever is next, is that, you know what? He can do it. Because He's great. And He's awesome. And He's perfect. And He's holy. And He knows what's best for us. Amen? And can I encourage you that your prayers should be filled with thanksgiving. But what if things aren't going too well? Thank Him anyway. Because he's still in control. May we begin to end with worship and praise and thanksgiving. And then it says, a couple more verses. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's a peace of God that comes when we give everything to God. There's an inner calm and tranquility that is promised to the believer whose attitude of thanksgiving is based on an unwavering confidence that God is able and willing to do what is best for us. You know what? I will, I will do anything for my kids. I, I will die for them. I won't even think about it right now. Let's go. And, you know, and they know that. But here's the thing. I'm an imperfect dad. How much more does our perfect Heavenly Father love us? And not only would He die for us, He did die for us. Amen? And the point is, we need to learn to trust Him that He knows what is best for us. Now, I love this part, which surpasses understanding. Here's the thing. God can give us peace when it doesn't make sense to us why it happened. John Corson, one of my favorite Bible teachers, his wife was killed in a car accident. A few years later, his 16-year-old daughter is driving to high school down the same road and is killed in the car accident. And then I watched the funeral and he has an incredible peace. How is that possible? It's the peace that surpasses all understanding, not comes from understanding. Oh, I understand. Now I have peace. It's, Lord, I don't understand, but I trust you. I don't get it, but I trust your character. It doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever why this would happen, but God, you're faithful. And I know that you know what's best. So my life is in your hands and I don't have to worry about it. That's the peace that surpasses all understanding that will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Again, He guards our minds and our hearts. I guess I'm going to stop there. Or not. Verse 8 and 9. Where are you going? We got food. Soft chairs. That's right. You can sit a little bit longer. Let's finish up these last two verses. Now look what it says here. Don't worry, be happy. Put your faith in the Lord. Give your needs to Him. And then lastly, give Him your mind. And I want, we'll go through this, but I want you to see this. Because you know what? We need to meditate on the things of God. The reason we struggle is we're so focused on worldly things that we forget about God's promises. And let's just read this. Look what it says. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just... Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That pretty much gets rid of television. True that or not. Whatever things are true. Guess who's the truth? Jesus Christ. Whatever things are noble, the word there is worthy of respect. Believers are to meditate on things which are worthy of awe and adoration, things that are sacred as opposed to things that are profane, things that are just, that which is right, that which is holy. Holy. Things that are pure, things that are morally clean and undefiled, things that are lovely, pleasing, or amiable, that which is kind and gracious, and things that are of good report, things that are highly regarded and thought well of by Almighty God. Does that sound like any TV show you watch lately? I got a TV in my house. I'm not preaching at you. I'm telling you. It's a fact, isn't it? And you know what happens? Here's the sad truth. That we meditate on everything but the Lord and then we wonder why we're struggling in our walk with the Lord. Amen. We're meditating on everything the world has to offer. Our mind's getting detracted. We're getting our eyes turned away from Him. And before we know it, our thoughts are filled with that which is immoral and impure and ungodly. A recent survey showed the average teenager spends more hours watching TV than going to school. That in the average year a teenager witnesses 10,000 acts of violence and nearly 15,000 sexual references per year and we wonder why teenagers are getting pregnant. You know what else we see? Adultery, fornication, homosexuality, violence, revenge, alcohol, drug use, lying, being disrespectful to parents is all being portrayed as acceptable behavior. Down to Bart Simpson or whatever, you know what I mean? Whatever you watch, it's portraying something that is ungodly for the most part. And if you watch it enough, you get desensitized to it. That's the propaganda. Just keep putting it, pumping it in and pumping it in. Them, and, pump, and eventually it goes, so what's, what's the big deal? Yeah, you know, whatever. When's the last time you saw a TV program that was on for any length of time where there wasn't fornication and adultery? And here's the thing, guys. And again, I know I'm, I'm on the box a little bit. All right. Okay, here's the thing. Why should we be watching the very sins that Christ died for? Why should we be entertained by the very things he had to go to the cross for, and we call it entertainment? The head of Disney a few years ago, and he's not there anymore, but he said when there was a boycott against Disney, because of their stance on homosexuality and some of the things they were doing, he said, I'm not worried about it because I know Christians care more about their entertainment than they do their God. Ouch. We didn't do anything with Disney for 10 years, my family. Nothing. Why? I was. Oh, that made me mad. That fried me. You know what the sad part is? There's some truth to it. People will compromise when it comes to their entertainment. Well, I'm watching it, but I'm not participating. (laughs) If your next-door neighbor had a machete out in his backyard and was hacking up people, would you pay him money to watch? (laughs) But we go to movies. Here's God's money. There you go. That's God's money, right? In your pocket. Here's God's money, and let me sit down and watch God's name be blasphemed. How can we do that, guys? I'm not being legalistic. I'm just saying meditate on these things—pure, holy, just. That's what God would have us be entertained by. You know what? If it means we, guys, let me say something. I love to go to the movies. I just can't go to very many. I love getting the big, you know, the big mondo tub of popcorn. You know the, and they give you a free refill, which is hilarious, right? You carry the you know the big Coke and the chair. It's just, you know. But the problem is, there's just nothing you can watch. Guys, we need to keep our kids from being desensitized to sin. and We need to keep ourselves. And let me just say this last point. Can I encourage you to pray about what the last thing you look at is before you go to sleep? Can I encourage you? Can I encourage you, if you go to sleep to Letterman, you're going to wake up grumpy. You know what? I love... To get up, sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night, go get a glass of water or whatever, and I'll stop middle of the night and just sit down and read a chapter. Amen. And go to sleep. And you know what's running through my head? Word of God. You'd be amazed how many times I wake up the next morning and it's the first thing on my mind, the chapter I read last night. I'll read the chapter every night before I go to bed. I'll read the chapter I'm going to teach next five or six or eight times. And I keep, I'll, I'll sometimes get the middle of the night and scratch out the outline to the message because I'm laying in bed and God's given it to me as it's going through my mind. You know what? Meditate on that which is holy and just and pure. Let that be implanted in your mind. And by the way, the internet... I don't have to say anything, do I? No. If you have the internet at your house, get a filter. And if you don't need it, get rid of it. How about that? What's the number one? What's the number one thing on the internet? By far, it's pornography. It's not even close. And you know what? It just breaks your heart. Last verse. These things which you have learned and received, heard and saw in me... These do, and the God of peace will be with you. You know what he said? Follow my example. Do not just as you've heard me say, but do as I do. The Ephesians, Paul said to them, I was daily with you, teaching you and showing you. The truth is, guys, that Christianity is more caught than taught. And we need to not just say tell people we're Christians. We need to live it out in front of them every single day. Amen? So don't worry, be happy. Live a life free of fear, anxiety, and worry. First, by putting your faith and hope and trust In the Lord, and know that you're going to heaven. Second of all, give Him your needs, desires, and concerns. Make your requests known to God. Come before the Lord, enter into intimate prayer with Him, and take the time to be still and let Him speak to you. And then, thirdly, give Him your mind. Meditate on the things of God. And when we do, we can live lives free of fear, anxiety, and worry as we stand with Him, as we meditate on Him, as we're focused on Him. The Bible says, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know what I find out about me? I can think about one thing at a time. I'm simple that way. If I'm focused on the Lord, I don't even notice this stuff over here. It's amazing how that works, isn't it? But what the enemy wants to do is distract you and get you turned away. Guys, read the book. Don't wait for the movie. Open up your Bible every morning and start your day with him. Meditate on these things, amen? Can you imagine if we spend as many hours in the Bible as we do watching TV... That would be scary. We wouldn't recognize Santa Cruz. Everything would change, wouldn't it? Man, let's seek first his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. You're a great and an awesome God. And I thank you again for the precious children that got up and just spoke the truth of who you are. What a blessing to have parents raising their kids in those types of homes. Thank you for the teachers who minister to them. And Lord, Lord, I pray that, that we would have that same joy. But that joy would be based not on our circumstances, but our right standing before you. Lord, fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. Help us to seek first your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to meditate on that which is holy and righteous and just. Father, I pray that you just bless the rest of our time together. May you be glorified. And if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, may they not walk out of here without talking to one of the pastors or somebody else here about having a relationship with you. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.